morning, Covenant Fellowship. We're so glad you're here with this morning. If you will stand, we're going to go ahead and get started. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. do great things does he not all right good to see everybody this morning and is there any moaning this morning like oh any leftover moaning i hope everybody enjoyed thanksgiving has anybody got back on the scale yet nobody's ventured that far out yet well i can help you with that it's kind of like daylight savings time if you turn your scale back five pounds and then get on the scale it won't bother you a bit jenny you just just smooth right through <laughs> Not a problem. So just something that might help you and just uh, encourage you to keep going. Good morning, Connie. Glad to see you this morning. Well, hey, you're here. That's all that matters. We're glad to see you. So I uh, hope everybody, uh, everybody enjoyed the holidays, a good time, and 
cooler weather this morning. That's always enjoyable. So uh, glad everybody's here safely. If you're joining us online, we're always thrilled to have you with us. Richard, standing by to be a blessing. But bottom right corner, we always point out the prayer tab. Let us know how we praying for you. That's private, secure. Don't worry about that being shared. But just want to be a blessing. Thank you for joining us this morning. Just a few announcements. Uh, this Saturday, we'll be having our church cleaning. Uh, need your help there, but also need additional help because uh, in conjunction with the church cleaning, we're going to stick around that morning to put up the Christmas decorations. Uh, that's getting things down, putting up the 12-foot tree, all that good stuff. So we need somebody that's brave enough to climb to the top. Tim, can you do that for us? Brother Tim? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up. I'm sorry. I didn't uh, <laughs> was trying to volunteer you to climb to the top of the tree and put the star on. So <laughs> send me a text. No. So anyway, if there you go. So if you can be here Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, uh, we'll kind of do it, uh, you know, two at one time. We'll have some folks cleaning, so some other folks starting on the Christmas decorations. So please mark your calendar. Be there for that if you can. Then the night, mark your calendar. That'll be Saturday evening. We will have our uh, our fellowship Christmas party. Uh, we always have a good time with that. We'll have snacks, finger foods, but uh, just a lot of fellowship, a lot of games that we play, different games that are uh, they're, they're fun if you're watching somebody else do them because you get to laugh at them. And uh, you may not want to participate in them. We'll get volunteers Jay and company to paint games for we we do that sleep. See, Jay's Jay's asleep too. See, I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, December the night, uh, Saturday night, the uh, Christmas, uh, you know, church Christmas party. Be there for that, and uh, be a part of that. It'd be a good time. And then, of course, our Wednesday services are still going on. Uh, where we have suspended the fellowship dinner part. Uh, at least through the end of the year because of activities going on, but we still have service, the Bible study at 7 o'clock. So love to have you there for that. And uh, I believe that's it. I did have the opportunity to speak to a sweet lady during the Christmas, or excuse me, Thanksgiving break, and uh, really struggling. Had uh, had lost a, uh, a child uh, here recently, uh, and it was struggling in a tough way. And uh, so... Uh, Got to spend a lot of time with her, talking with her and uh, where she was with God. Uh, there were some questions there, but in talking, uh, we got to know for sure she was a saved lady and had been trusted in Christ, but uh, also struggling a lot. So we extended the church to her, and hopefully we'll get to see her soon and be a blessing to her. But it was just great to be able to share with her, and uh, it brought a lot back to her. She has not been in church, so she had left a lot of doubt creep in but uh, in understanding what we talked about it reassured her of how much Christ loved her and what she was truly trusting in so you never know unless you share the love of Christ don't we never know if somebody knows Christ knows a lot of times they may just be knowing about Christ they never had the opportunity to have a intimate relationship and trusting in Christ but uh, that's why we share the good news amen Amen. All right. I believe that's it. Gentlemen, if I can have you come forward and we'll pray over our service this morning. Gary Wallace? You sure? Yes, today.
the left one. Somebody have a friend? Calm down now. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we just thank you again for this last week. Just thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, we ask you this morning to bless this sanctuary, to speak through Brother Todd. Bless your, the giver, bless the blessings. We just love you and thank you. And this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Submit. 
Psalms uh, 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. When we look at that psalm, everybody uses it at a funeral, and I said, don't use that at my funeral. I did all that valley walking while I was alive, and I'm running now. I'm running on streets of gold, so don't go there because that's a psalm for the living. But one thing I can say, everything I've been through, God is good. He's always been good. 
when I look at the children in Israel and, and the attack and all of that that we know is going on, um, I love Israel, support Israel, but when I look at all that, I think, God, you spared me. Because those people are going through all of this prophetical stuff and these precious children are just being blitzed. And we don't have to go through that. So the stuff I've gone through is kind of like compared to the cross. I'm not minimizing anybody's grief or pain, but it's nothing compared to what it could have been. You're still here. You're still breathing. God still has a purpose for you. It's not too late if you're taking a breath right now to find that purpose and to live it out and to find out that no matter how bad it gets, he is good. Let's come to the altar and pray to our good God.
How appropriate. What a great song. Let there be peace. I think we all long for a little peace, do we not? It's hard to function without peace. And it's kind of this promise, or it is the promise we have from God. And the way we're going to look at it is the way we come about it is seldom what we plan or the how we go about planning it. Our subject this morning you see there, God's plan, God's place, God's purpose. And it comes out of Jeremiah 29. Reading in Jeremiah, of course, in chapter 29, we're familiar with a key verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. I believe we can all quote, uh, you know, very easily. God says, so I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. And uh, these thoughts are good, not of evil, and they give us an expected end. Uh, yet... While that's all good and it's a promise of God that we can hang our spiritual hat on in context of what takes place in chapters 26 all the way through 29, it adds a different light to it. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to do uh, some reading this morning. We need to to catch the full scope of what God has for us. And it deals with the promise of peace he has for us. But I don't know about you, I've ended up more times than I preferred in life in places that I scratch my head and wonder how I ended up there. Now, sometimes I can humbly go back and realize that my decisions that got me there, sometimes it wasn't rare, but it wasn't my bad decision, but I was still there. And we got to understand God has a plan, does he not? Yeah, God's sovereign. God's in control. We'll see that in Scripture as we go through this. But uh, Jeremiah 29 addresses and speaks to God's plan for restoration for his children. And it comes by way of judgment that he brings upon them through his wrath towards his children. But then he leaves them with the promise of hope that we can glean from chapter 11 as we just read. Let me share this thought with you. C.S. Lewis, if you know who he is, author of Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, came to his salvation back, uh, been back during World War One. But anyway, C.S. Lewis has this quote, hardships often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. Hardship often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. But here's the thing about such hardships. Seldom do we see it approaching. Seldom do we see it approaching. Matter of fact, you look at the nation of Israel, that God uses in Jeremiah for, they refuse to see it approaching. And a lot of times that's part of the problem, at least in Israel's case, because we know that they even tried to kill Jeremiah. You know, I think it's Romans 11 talks about reference to the Old Testament prophets, that God sent prophets and they killed your prophets. So many times, God being long-suffering and patient, God sent ample warning through his prophets to say, hey, get your heart right. Change your stinking thinking. And God's children, and thus that's us as well today, a lot of times we don't change our thinking. So we don't see it coming. Seasons can often arrive unexpected, you know, unexpectedly or untimely. 
Yet when we do see it coming, maybe we see a change in season coming, what do we do with it? That's what we got to look at today. What do we do when there's a change of season in our life? Knowing that God has a plan. Because if that season comes about you, God has ordained it for a reason. Now, it may be to change my thinking and my heart. Or it may be that God's going to use me to change somebody's thinking and somebody's heart. Either way, if it comes into my life, God ordained it. That means God has a plan. God has a place, and God has a purpose in it. Now, if I want to find God's peace that he promises me, it doesn't matter which aspect I own. If, if this season is to deal with my own heart, or this season is to include me in God's plan for somebody else's heart, i got certain promises I need to hold to that I'll have peace all the way through that. A promised peace that God gives us so let's pray and we'll jump into this father thank you for this morning I ask that you anoint every word that's spoken prepare our hearts for your truth we ask this in christ's name amen uh god will place us where we least expect it for his purpose according to his plan we're going to look at three these three aspects and break them down one we're going to look at god's plan how god's plan comes about why it comes about so to do so, we've got to do some reading here. So if you'll turn with me, I'm sure it'll be on the screen. Or if you have your Bible or uh, electronic form, it will start in chapter 26 of Jeremiah. And we're going to start and look at verses 1 through 8. Uh, and so it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, came the word of the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them diminish not a word. This is God revealing to Jeremiah. If so, be they will hearken and turn every man from his what? Ah, evil way. So we got a problem here, do we not? God's also sending Jeremiah. This isn't God changing Jeremiah's thinking and heart. This is God incorporating, calling upon, using Jeremiah as his prophet. is going to inter interject Jeremiah into his plan for a bigger problem, for his people, for his nation. Uh, uh, where are we at here? Uh, excuse me. Uh, came to worship, but I sort of speak diminished my words, that they will hearken to turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil. So God's heart's already set towards them, is it not? God said, look, something's going to change here. As we always say, and it's not going to be me. So if you can't change, then I'll bring the change about, i.e. God's judgment. God's wrath is always to bring about change, not just to tell us to go stick our spiritual nose in the corner. God's not a timeout God. God's not like, I'm tired of you. You're frustrating me. I'm aggravated. Just get out of my life for a little bit. Go to your room for an hour so I don't have to deal with you. That's not the way God's judgment and wrath works. We may be in a spiritual room. We may be in a spiritual timeout to where God disrupts our lives, but God never separates us from him. That's important to know in your life. God loves you too much to get you out of his life. You're not a frustration. You're not a burden to God. We are God's children. God loves us unconditionally. But he also 
God says, if they'll change the heart, I'll change my thought towards them. Verse 4, Thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If you will not hearken to me, to walk in my law, which I set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, i.e. Jeremiah here, whom I send unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but they have, but, uh, they have not hearkened. Verse 6, Then will I make this house like Shiloh, and I'll make this city a curse to all the nations on the earth, meaning I'll make an example of you. I'll make an example of you that everybody sees my sovereign power and what I'm doing. Verse 7, so the priests and the prophets, all the people that heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him and praised him and thanked him for bringing the message. That wasn't their response, was it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you done, Jeremiah? Yeah, good. Well, hey, come with us because we're going to kill you. I.e., in Romans and many times, 28, 20, I think, I think maybe there's 30 scriptures I found in reference to that allude to we have killed God's prophets. We killed God's messengers. We do it today. Well, God hasn't sent me a prophet. Yeah, he has. He sent you all kinds of prophets. Not prophet by calling or title, but any man that God's used and has anointed his words to share his words of truth, i.e., is a prophet for our lives to get our attention, that we can change our heart, that our mind lines up to the Word of God. Here's God's plans. The Father's plan for restoration was not about physical location or physically rebuilding structures, per se. It was for and about rebuilding the heart of his children. It's God's desire to bring his people back to himself. God wants that intimate, heart-deep relationship with his children. He's not a passive, out-of-the-way father, busy working, comes home after long hours, just says hi, and, you know, and goes to bed and wakes up. No, he, he wants a, and desires an intimate relationship with us. And God will go to extremes, as he did, we're going to see here, through these chapters of Jeremiah, God goes to great extremes to bring his children back to him. God's always about restoration. God's not about giving up. God wants to set us on a path that he knows that leads us to spiritual prosperity. Wayne was shared a great truth this morning, dealing with faith. You can never get tired of talking about faith and he talked about a song he heard this morning by guy penrod everybody know guy penrod part of the gaithers uh the taller guy with the salt and pepper long flowing shoulder length hair kind of like mine if you recognize him well he talked about a song that he sang that was uh if i if i remember right it was like the the saints have a path and the sinner has a future or has a hope something to that line that guy penrod sang this is God's plan for us. If you're a saint and you're on the right path, God will continue to guide you and direct you and, and, and be a light into your path and put you, maybe in this case, like Jeremiah, put you in situations, put you in people's lives to help them see the love God has for them. Or you may be a saint, you may be saved, but maybe you've fallen more into the sinner side. You've fallen away from that intimacy with God, that fellowship with God, and now you're distant 
and now you're caught up in the world. You're caught up in the flesh, and God brings individuals. God brings his word into your life. Either way, God has the same purpose for both the saint and the sinner, or the saint and saint slash sinner. He has the same purpose for us all, to build the intimacy and fellowship with his children. That's what he desires. question is, is that what we desire? It may not be. The season of hardship that had befallen them shouldn't have been that surprising to Israel. It never should have caught them by surprise. Their problem is they just didn't take the prophet serious. They didn't measure or feel the depths of God's love. They felt it more as just God being judgmental and being harsh and being hard, and they'd rather do life their way than God's way. They had their own plan. They weren't interested in God's plan. God says, well, you're going to see my plan, and you're going to have to deal with my plan. Because God is sovereign, God's plan is perfect, and God's plan is going to unfold in our life. The question is, are we wanting to kill the prophets in our life? Are we wanting to kill and suppress the Word of God in our lives? Are we wanting to subdue the Holy Spirit in us that we can't even lay eyes on God's plan that's before us? It could be hard, but it shouldn't be surprising. But the problem is, understand this about sin on a rabbit trail here. Sin never prepares you for anything. Sin, <laughs> sin does nothing but numb us to truth. So if, if we're caught up in a particular sin, it, it doesn't have to be the, the social aspects of these horrid sins of you know, whatever, drugs and alcoholism. It could just be the sin of anger, the sin of, uh, of doubt, the sin of uh, hypocrisy, judgmental, lying. It could be these sins that kind of get brushed over. The problem with the more that sin prevails in our life, the more sin, the more it dumbs it or numbs us to the Word of God. It doesn't enlighten us to, oh, wow, I'm really getting bad. I need to get back to God. Seldom is the case. It continues to numb us and blind us to God's promises. But notice the, the Father's plan. And we'll jump ahead a little bit, and we'll make reference to this here shortly. Uh, it, it, it addresses the fact that why they end up in this bondage in exile for 70 years under Babylon, that God gives them a command what to do the whole time they're there. It's interesting, God knowing that he's going to bring this upon his children because they wouldn't repent, they wouldn't get right, they were just willing to kill Jeremiah more than listen to him. God says, but look, when you're there by your own actions, God's just. We never unjustly end up where we shouldn't be. We end up exactly where we should be, either in God's favor or in God's judgment. But God says, when you're there, though, I want you to continue to build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children. I want you to continue in the life that I've called you to. That's kind of interesting. You think, well, they went into bondage and exile. They're under Babylon in the, in the, the empire. You, aren't they going to end up in prison and shackles and chains? They can't do that. So hold on to that thought. We'll get to it. The Father's plan of restoration involves a fullness of life. Remember, God doesn't just stick us in a spiritual corner. Even amid hardship and displacement, it's a powerful reminder to us that even in our struggles and trials, God calls us to thrive, not to just survive. 
God never calls us to a life of just scraping by. Now, don't take that out of context. I didn't get up here and preach that everybody's supposed to be rich and you give and God will give you more. No, it's not about health and wealth. No, it's about spiritual health. It's about spiritual prosperity. God wants us to have an abundance of life that we thrive so much spiritually that it's simple to put this temporal life in its place and not have control over us or not have influence over us. That's why Jesus spoke in John 10, 10, I, I came not only to save you, but ultimately I came to save you that you can not only have life, but you can have life more what? Abundantly. Thrive. Succeed in all that I have for you and all that I want for you. God's plan is not for us to live immersed in this world with barely a snorkel sticking above water level. God doesn't call us to that. If anything, he, us, he calls us to walk on water, does he not? Did he not tell Jesus, come forth? God says, hey, thrive. Thrive in this life. But you're going to have to thrive on my plan, not your plan. Your plan is going to submerge you in this world. And you'll feel times that you're barely surviving with a snorkel We've all done it in the swimming pool. You get too deep and the water flows over in the snorkel and you start spitting and coughing and coming up thinking you almost died, almost drowned. Too many Christians live like that, coughing, choking, feeling like they're drowning in this world. God says, I did not call you, never did I call you to that life. I called you to thrive. The problem is you're trying to live by your plan and not by my plan. Our plan, good luck. Plan the best you can. You better plan a lot. You might have a little bit more resources to fulfill your plan a little bit more than others. But make sure you have the humility to acknowledge that's your plan and not God's plan. And that's dangerous. God has a plan to, with his plan, God has a place. Let's go look at Jeremiah 27. Do some more reading here. We'll read verses 1 through 13, so bear with me here. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, came the word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and the king of Tyrus, and uh, the king of Zidon, and by the hand of the messengers which came to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Now here it is, verse 4. And command them, not a choice, it's a direction of God, it's a commandment, say unto their masters, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall you say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man, the beast, are upon the ground by my great power, by my outstretched arm have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. It's not God sovereign. Does he not own a cattle in a thousand hills? God says, this is my creation. You are my people. This is my plan. And I will place every single one of you individually where I want to place you. You just so happen to be so immensely blessed like me to be placed in a country that God had blessed from the get-go that we've had an unprecedented amount of, free, of spiritual freedom. 
how much we overlook that in America. And we talk about we're oppressed and life's not fair and life's hard. God says, I haven't blessed any country like I've blessed, well, the nation of Israel, but like I've blessed America. We have wealth. We have resources. We have freedom. Freedom of religion abundantly. And oh, how we abuse God's plan in America. God's sovereign. You're here. You're where you're at because that's where God, the sovereign God, the creator of all, placed you. Don't ever lose sight of that. Verse 6, and now I've given all these lands, everything that I just said that I control, including you and me, I've given you into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he's telling his children. The king of Babylon, my servant and the beast of the fields, have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's sons until the very time of this land come. Then many nations, the great kings, shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that that nation, the kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, that their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish. Because God says, oh, look, you think you, this is bad for you to go underneath Nebuchadnezzar? Will refuse to do what I said and see how much worse it gets for you. We don't want to play with God's wrath. Oh, I, I can deal with this for a season. <laughs> we don't have enough seasons in us to challenge God. Don't play with God's words. Don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon you from a message on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, a song, or your own devotions. Be cautious to have a conviction come upon you, and you go, ah, well, that's not what I want to do. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, yoke, and I'll punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, hearken not to your prophets. Understand and know who you're always listening to nor to your diviners, nor to the uh, dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, who speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy, what? A lie. If it didn't come from this, it's a what? It's a lie. I don't care who said it. If it doesn't come from here, clearly it's a lie. Uh, a lie that uh, should drive them out and should perish. Verse 11, but the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon to serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall uh, till it and dwell therein. Verse 12, and I spake unto Zedekiah, the king of Judah, according to these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, his people, and live. Verse 13, paraphrasing a little bit, if not, why, why do you want to die? Otherwise, you're bringing your own spiritual and possibly physical death. Why will you die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence the Lord has spoken? Okay, bear with me here. Now jump down to verse 17. Hearken not unto them, serve the king of Babylon, and live. Wherefore should this city be laid waste? I know we did a lot of reading there, 
But here's the thing. Yes, did Israel do wrong? Yes. Did God's judgment and wrath come upon his children? Yes. Does God have a plan through all this to restore them back to him? Yes. Clearly. Easy to understand and follow. Yes, God has a plan. The place is where it gets difficult. See, we're, we're okay to jump from Jeremiah 26 to Jeremiah 29:11. See my point? Oh, whoa, God's mad. Oh, I did wrong. The season's about to change my life. Okay, well, I see it, God. I want to jump to Jeremiah 29, 11, your thoughts towards me, not of evil or good. God says, no, you've already, you know, suppressed that part. Now we're going, we're going to do it in my place. You've already thumbed your nose up at my plan. You were willing to kill my prophets. Don't wait. Now that I changed the location of your life, now you want to jump into my promises and blessings. We'll see that they're still there. God's promises never fail us. God's promises never go away, i.e., prodigal son. Did God remove all the promises from the prodigal son? No, it wasn't until the prodigal son came to himself that he found the promises and the goodness of God again. So God's goodness, God's promises never or should I say, are never void. They're always there. But we don't get to pick and choose how we get to them. We don't get to live our plan till we realize our plan's failing, and then we just want to, oh, here comes judgment. Here comes the, the, the harvest of what I sowed in my life. Oh, I don't like this harvest. This isn't what I want coming in. This isn't going to be abundance. This isn't, a, you know, the life abundantly you promised me. Okay, now, God, I need for your promises to kick in my life. See, we can't just grab Jeremiah 29, 11 and live by that alone as a stopgap, as a spiritual safety net. A lot of Christians use all of God's promises as a spiritual safety net, and they live their life on the tightrope they want to, how they want to. If I fall, I'll just fall into God's promises. He'll catch me, protect me, set me back up. Then I go back doing what I want to do. No. God's plan does this God's place. His command to seek the welfare of the city where they were exiled. That was a radical concept. It's radical today. Matthew 5, Did not Jesus tell us to pray for who? Those we get along with? Those that treat us right? Those that are our best friends? Those that don't sit in our chair on Sunday morning? No. No, he said, pray for your enemies. Keep in mind, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was an enemy to Israel. They weren't their next-door neighbor they cooked out with. But God says, I'm going to put you under. I'm going to put a yoke upon you, and I'm going to ask you and command you, not ask, command you to wear this yoke. But when you're wearing this yoke under Babylon, I want you to be praying for them. Same thing, Stephen. We saw Stephen. It was in Acts chapter 7. Remember after giving his testimony in the gospel and they were stoning him? What were the last words out of, Jesus, uh, out of Stephen's mouth? Yeah. Father, lay this not this sin against them. Stephen was praying for the very people that were physically killing him at the time. 
amongst the rocks, hitting his skull and his face. He was praying for them. The same prayer that Jesus prayed for the ones that he came to die for as he hung on the cross. His Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Praying for the very ones that were crucifying him, that he came to die for their sins as well. This is what God was asking his children to do. I'm going to put you in my place according to my plan, and then I expect you, command you, to pray for those that you're under. He calls his people to be agents of peace and prosperity, no matter where God places us. Wherever we find ourselves, even if those places are not where we would choose to be, God still calls us to live according to his plan. God's promised to fulfill his plans for them. God plans good for us, not evil, to give them a future hope and promise that Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us. It's a powerful promise. It's a promise we need to take to our heart to hold on to, but understand it comes by way of God's purpose of restoration to him. That verse just didn't show up all by itself. It's a process of getting to after God bringing his children back home. His promise to hear their prayers and to be found by them. Jump over to Jeremiah 29. Look at verses 12 through first part of 14. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and what? Pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me. When you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you. Get back in my plan. No matter where you're at, you may not like the place you're in. You may not like the season you're in. But understand, that's God's plan. God controls it all. He placed you there for a purpose, and he expects us to continue to pray and to search him out. And as long as we keep on doing that, and we don't get caught up in the circumstances, that we don't like the plan, we don't like the process or the place that God's put us in. So we, at that point, we can either start belly aching and complaining and griping, and God doesn't love me, and God's not fair, and I, this doesn't, I don't deserve this. Or we can start relenting. We can start humbling ourselves to God's plan. And understand, even though we don't like the season, we still have an ultimate purpose. And that's our accountability to God. And as long as we continue to pray, he hears us. And as long as we continue to seek him out, then you'll find him. I'll find him. It doesn't matter what place you're in. It does not matter what your circumstances are. Number three, we'll wrap this up. God has a plan. God has a place. And ultimately, always, God has purpose in everything he does. He's not a God of happenstance. God has a promised purpose, we can add. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, just a few more verses, verses 1 through 5. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captive, and to the priests, and to the prophets, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeremiah, or Jeconiah, uh, uh, the king, and of Judah and Jerusalem, all these. So let's jump down to verse 3. 
by the hand, uh, let's get through this. Uh, let's go ahead and start verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, of whom I have uh, caused to be carried away from Jerusalem and to Babylon. And here it is, what we said earlier. Build ye houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons. And give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be what? Increase. Remember, have life and have it more abundantly. Increase there, and not what? Diminish. Now, have they not been put into exile and bondage, per se? Yes, by their choice. By living by their plan instead of God. God says, while you're there, I'm not done with you. You're just reaping what you sowed. Where you're at, you brought upon yourself. I sent prophets, you ignored them. Sent prophets, you're willing to kill them. You continue to want to live by your plan. You couldn't change your heart and your thinking. I'll change it for you. But while I'm changing it by my plan in my place, don't think I've ever stopped loving you or given up on you. I still expect you to prosper. I still expect you to live in abundance the life I'll give for you. Long as you're willing to live in accordance to my plan. Verse 7, and seek the peace of the city, whether that have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in peace, therefore, shall you have peace. There's no way I could have peace if I was in a place like that. You can't by your plan. You follow God's plan, you can have peace no matter where you're at. You can have peace in temporal life prosperity, and you can have peace when you're in poverty in the temporal process. Problem is, too many Christians fall into the world thinking, we think peace can only come by way of abundance. And the only thing that's doing is that that's where we fall into our plan. We're trying to buy our peace through our resources, through our wisdom. We're trying to build our own peace. If I have this, if I have that, if I'm in this place, if I can follow this plan, then I'll build peace. No, God says, follow my plan, and you'll have abundance of my peace, a peace beyond understanding. A peace that when, even when you're under and in exile to Babylon, you can still have peace that we all desire. John Stott, a theologian, made this statement. The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5.10. But the God of all grace, giving us what we don't deserve, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have what? I'll oh, suffered a while, make ye perfect, mature, spiritually grown up, established, strengthened, and will settle you. So how do we get there? Do we get there through the peace that we conjure up, the peace that we want? Or do we get there through a little strife, a little hardship, a little suffering? 
maybe going through places that we don't want to go through, maybe journeying where we don't want to journey, maybe seasons befalling us we don't want to endure. But God says, you keep on praying, you hold to my plan, you prosper where I placed you, I'll hear you, you'll find me, and by way of that, you'll find peace. You'll find the peace to endure. It's kind of like, I don't know if you had them. I remember I had them so much as a children. Uh, leg pains from growing. Man, I remember as a kid just laying there, my mother rubbing my legs. I mean, literally just crying. Aspirin, it wouldn't help. Man, my legs, I mean, they just ached from growing so much. Part of the process, is it not? Growing pains. We understand them physically. God says, hey, I'm going to grow you spiritually. Guess what you're going to have to go through? A little pain. Nah, I don't want that. I need to grow physically, but I don't want to go through all that spiritually. I got my own plan. I got my own place I want to be. I don't want to have to go through your plan. Your place may bring on some pain I don't want to deal with. God says, yeah, but it'll get you where you need to be. It'll restore your thinking. It'll restore your heart. It'll bring you back into intimate fellowship with me. Unity, that kindred spirit we're called to amongst the brethren with the Father. It's important to note that God's judgment is not arbitrary. It's not unjust. It's righteous and it's always just. God is just. But it's always in response to sin and rebellion. When we allow that to permeate in our lives, when we allow it to separate us from God in the smallest of ways, when God starts sending his word and starts sending brothers and sisters in Christ to bring it to our attention and we continue to avoid it and ignore it because we don't want to change what we're doing. God has a plan. He has a purpose. It's not to punish us in anger. He's punishing us in love. He loves us too much to let us stay separated from him. Let me jump down to here. Let's go, go back to Jeremiah 29, 11. Do all this. You read chapters 26 all the way through 29. It puts a lot more meaning on Jeremiah 29, 11 than just grabbing it by itself. We lose the meat of it. We lose the doctrinal truth of it for our lives. I know. Does God not have a plan? I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. It's his plan, of course he knows. Thoughts of what? Peace, the same peace he promised us and told us we can have, irregardless of our circumstances. They're not of evil. And it will give you an expected end. An end that will bring about my glory through your life so others can see and be a witness. And every time God's glory is revealed through our lives, I promise you it'll be to our good. It'll be good for us attached to it. This statement alone reveals God's heart for his people, for you, for me, that even in his chastisement towards us, God's plan is not to harm us, it's to restore us, it's to build us up. 
is to signify his love for us. Thank you, Job. What Job went through, the pain that Job went through. Job was kind of like Jeremiah. He was a righteous man. God didn't need to change his heart. He didn't need to change Job's mind. Job says, but God said, Job, I'm going to use you not for an individual. I'm going to use you for all of my creation to understand what it means. Look what Job went through so we can preach it today. Job didn't have a clue. But Job endured. I'll close with this. Bottom line within this, sometimes we just have to bloom where we're planted. We may have put ourselves in a field we didn't want to be in because of our own choices, or God may put us in a field by his doing for somebody else's well-being. Either way, where God puts you, bloom. Bloom where you're at. May not, may not be ideal circumstances, may be some pain involved. But if we'll stay focused on his word, his plan, follow his plan the best we can, stay in prayer, keep on seeking God, we'll find our peace. The Father never told them that they'd have to suffer for 70 years. Catch that. He never told his children that under Babylon they would have to suffer for 70 years. He told them to keep on living, keep on building houses, keep on having families, keep on in marriage. But keep on praying for the very enemy that you're under. Yeah, you're there. Maybe not the best life, but there's still peace there and there's still prosperity there. God never will make us suffer. The suffering we have to go through brings us closer to God. We have to reap what we sow. I think it's Galatians 6, 7 tells us that. We reap what we sow. But no matter what type of harvest comes in, good or bad, it's never void of God's love for us. And his promises endure till the end. He'll hear our prayers and we'll find him. Problem is, it's God's plan, God's place, God's purpose. Don't lose sight of God's promise amongst it all, and you'll find the peace he has promised for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, first and foremost. The most powerful thing there is is your word. And, Father, within it is a plan for each and every one of our lives. Sometimes that plan is due to our own choices because we're following our plan instead of yours. And, and it does bring judgment. It does bring your chastisement. And it may place us in a place we don't like for a season that seems too hard to endure. But as long as we understand that there is great purpose in your plan, it's never random. It's not you just playing heavenly games with us. 
No, there's great purpose in your plan. It's either to restore us to you and fellowship with you, or it's using us to help others restore their relationship with you. In any aspect, it doesn't matter. Long as we continue to seek you, that we have your promised peace and we have prosperity spiritually, sometimes like Job, even physical prosperity in the end. But either way, we have your peace. As long as we have your peace, then all's good. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the significance that Jeremiah 29, 11 brings into our lives. But if we understand and see the big picture, we understand the power of that promise. That it all lies according to your perfect will. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you, You're here today, and we've been talking about the promises of God and the goodness of God and the peace of God. None of that can be found if you don't have the salvation of God. The greatest promise we've ever been given was Christ and the cross. If you're here today and you never had the opportunity to, to hear or understand that promise, don't leave here today without knowing for sure without being able to say that you know, that you know, that you know who Jesus Christ is and knowing that you've accepted that promise, that gift, according to Romans 6, 23, of eternal life. That's what unfolds the abundant life God has for us. It has to start at the cross in the work of Jesus. That was God's ultimate plan. So if you're here today, we have men or ladies that can take you appropriately to a side room and share with you privately how you can know for sure the greatest promise of all. The music plays as the Lord leads you. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for your glory, your power, your faithfulness. Most of all, for Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Bless your servants that are here today. Worship you. Let us each take away today what you would have for us. Apply to our lives. Go out, spread the good news, spread Jesus' glory. Give us the strength to do that on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.